while you're doing that, just to mention I'll be preaching out tonight. I'm at West Grange, uh, Leeds. Uh, so I'm sad, I'm, unfortunately, I'll miss the evidence um, there, but it sounds really good. And uh, I think it's an opportunity to come and hear and learn so much. So please come if you can come tonight. And I'll be thinking of you and praying for you. If you could pray for me, that'd be great. It's not too late as well to sign up for Friendship First. We've just had the first one last week. Great, really great course. And uh, so on Tuesday, it's the second one. And this is where we're learning about Islam and uh, in a very, inter- very interesting, interactive way. Um, and uh, so if you would like still to come, you haven't, put, uh, you haven't been before, please just add your name to the sheet at the back on the table where the other list is as well. And so I know that you'll be coming, but uh, that's been really good as well. So let's read Romans chapter 3, and I'm reading from verse 19. I'm reading in the, I'm going to read this this morning, reading from in the NIV. So verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in the sight and in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness comes from God. So this righteousness, rather, yeah, I've, I've lost my place, sorry, verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came By Christ Jesus. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And then chapter 1, Romans 1 and verse 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel... A righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This morning I'm going to look at the subject, what we owe to the Reformation. Different type of message this morning. We might just overshoot. Not that I'm going to preach long, but we've had a lot to pack in. But I don't want to miss anything out. And uh, 
it's important that we, this is what we're going to look at this morning. On Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, it will be exactly 500 years since Martin Luther went to the large wooden doors of the castle church at Wittenberg, Germany. That's where he lived and preached in, in Germany. And he pinned a document to the doors of that church. And that was like the, the public notice board of its day. And that one seemingly obscure event was the flame that lit the touch paper for the Protestant Reformation. And that spread throughout Europe and it's affected the whole world ever since. So what was it that that document contained? Well, it contained 95 statements of belief that Luther understood to be consistent with the Bible and they were truths that went against the teaching of the church of its day that held sway, which was the Roman Catholic Church of its day. It eventually, those 95, it, was, it became known as the 95 Theses. And, and the, that eventually led Luther to being called before the church authorities and charged with heresy. But what happened was, the news of the 95 Theses and what it contained rapidly spread throughout Germany, Switzerland and throughout Europe. And the Protestant Reformation was underway. And the results of that were absolutely enormous, huge. That time, of course, it, during the 16th century, it was a very violent time. And many who stood up for their faith and for the truths they believed in, many were executed. Many were burned at the stake, including not just um, ministers, but ordinary people, ordinary families, men, women and children were killed at that time. But it's true to say the, result, the results of their sacrifice and the Protestant Reformation have reverberated all the way down the centuries. And we are here today because of that. We owe an enormous amount to Martin Luther and to the Reformation. And to save me going into the history of it, we're going to watch a short video. This is the Lego version, which some of you have seen before, of Martin Luther. We're going to watch it now. It's well worth watching. This is the story of Martin Luther. He got up to some pretty adventurous things. He was kidnapped by knights on horseback, lived in disguise in a castle, and helped some nuns escape from a convent by hiding them in barrels. But as a young man, he was troubled by a deep sense that he wasn't right with God. 
Once, in a thunderstorm, a lightning bolt nearly struck him. He thought he was going to die, and he cried out for help to one of the saints, saying rashly, Save me, and I'll become a monk. He survived, and so, true to his word, he gave up his studies as a lawyer and became a monk. His friends and family said he was wasting his talent. In the monastery, he started reading the Bible. He discovered that it was God's mercy and love that was all that was needed to be right with God. And for the first time in his life, he found a deep peace with God. Luther was invited to be a lecturer at the University of Wittenberg. He taught through books of the Bible, and his lectures were popular. Even ordinary people from the town came along. In those days, the Catholic Church was telling Christians that their good behavior could earn them heaven. But Luther knew from the Bible that no amount of good works could earn you forgiveness. Not even the Pope was able to give forgiveness from God. Only God could do that. Luther saw that the church had left behind what the Bible taught and was even making things up for its own gain. He decided he must teach against these false ideas. He made his complaints public by nailing them to the place in town where people published important documents door of the castle church. He explained that it wasn't possible to buy God's forgiveness or to live a life that was good enough to deserve to know God. His writings showed that God wants to forgive the wrong we've done and that this is only possible because Jesus, the Son of God, came to pay the punishment that our wrong deserved. Jesus did this as he died in our place. Luther's ideas quickly spread throughout Europe thanks to a recent invention, the printing press. The Pope wrote a document saying that Luther had to take it all back, and if he didn't, he'd be treated as a heretic. Luther refused and publicly burned a copy of the Pope's letter. Luther's ideas shook things up religiously, politically, and culturally. He was soon summoned to stand before the emperor an answer for his supposed crimes of explaining what the Bible said. The emperor declared Luther an outlaw, banning his literature. And that's when he was rescued and went to live in disguise in a castle. Dressing in knight's clothing, he changed his name to Sir George and grew his hair and a beard and spent his time translating the New Testament. Again, it was published widely, meaning ordinary people could read the Bible for the first time. Luther then secretly returned to Wittenberg. He continued to write books and translate the Bible. He also got married and had a family. Europe was buzzing with Luther's message about the Bible. Today, 500 years on, the truths of the Bible that Luther knew continue to impact millions of people. People who've come to know God personally, knowing the peace and forgiveness Jesus offers us. The forgiveness that Luther found is still available today. We can all be in a right relationship with God because of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You can uh, watch that on YouTube, again, if you want to.
And uh, afterwards, Suzanne has put some literature out, which uh, had, he had out for 50 plus as well. So that's available if you want to. Is it to buy and to? Yeah? Okay. Have a look. What do we owe the Protestant Reformation? If you work it out, 500 years, that's seven, eight lifetimes ago. I mean, how, how could it be relevant today? As, as I've thought about this, I, I feel it boils down to two main things. Absolutely massive issues for the church. That was, these things were rediscovered. They weren't sort of invented. They were rediscovered by Martin Luther and the, and the reformers. First of all, the supreme authority of Scripture... And secondly, justification by faith alone. Okay, so I'll come to those. The supreme, first of all, the supreme authority of Scripture. That is the authority of Scripture over against the authority of the church and of the Pope and of any human institution or tradition. And I think, if anything, that, that was the most crucial thing that underpinned the whole of the Reformation. It was a rediscovery of the importance of the Bible. As you saw on there, Luther's protest was primarily against the practice of selling indulgences by the Roman Catholic Church. And that was widespread. What was an indulgence? Well, the indul an indulgence was something that was granted by the church that promised a reduction of the suffering of a person for their sins. Right? So if you had an indulgence, you would actually be granted by the church lesser suffering for your sins in this world and in purgatory. That's the Roman Catholic teaching, that there is purgatory. A place where... Even if you're forgiven your sins, you still suffer for your sins when you die. So that, that was the practice. They, they sold indulgences, which were granted by the church, encouraged by the Pope, and that would enable people to feel, wow, we don't have to suffer for our sins. It was actually a priest, a guy called, I, don't, I can't remember if it mentioned this, Johann Tetzel. He was a Dominican friar, on the authority of the Pope, Pope Leo X of that day, he went around selling these indulgences. He was a brilliant salesman. I mean, he had the sales patter. This is what he said. Soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. I mean, that's great, isn't it? So if you've got a loved one who's died, you know that they're in purgatory. That's what they were taught. Suffering for their sins, you put a coin in and you bought an indulgence and whoa, they're free from purgatory. Or they don't have to suffer as long. Now actually that was just a way for the Catholic Church at that time to raise funds so they could build St. Peter's Basilica. That was in, in Rome. That was, the, that was why, they, why they sold those things. And Martin Luther, he couldn't sit idly by. He, he couldn't let this go on, knowing that the people were conned and, and deceived by this. So he protested. But here's the thing. How did he know they were wrong? How did he know that that was wrong? Well, he turned to the Scriptures. He turned to the Bible. 
and he studied the scriptures for himself and he find that the, found that the Bible had to teach about true repentance, what real repentance was all about. And he realized that there was a difference between repentance and penance, which is that theme of thought of this is what you do is the, 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 the Catholic taught in those days and buying indulgences. And so he came to realize that the Bible had an ultimate authority. And the church taught, what the church taught was wrong. If you're appalled by the thought of selling of indulgences, you know, you can't imagine being people, why they would be so deceived and so conned by that. It might be worth saying that actually the most indulgences today that can be bought are found in Protestant churches. They are. God's grace, blessings of healing, you know, blessings of wealth, answers to prayer. You just sow your seed of money into this, and usually you make it out to the preacher that you're listening to. You give your money and you can buy health and wealth. That, that's what's going on, isn't it? That's what's being taught on the, on the internet and through churches today, Protestant churches, selling indulgence, they're selling things. Total hogwash. But it's going on today. And it wasn't just indulgences that Luther protested against. It was the same about the teachings of the Mass. The Roman Catholic Church taught that the bread and the wine literally became the flesh and the blood of Jesus. As the prayers, as the priests rather, began the um, prayers at the Mass, so the blood, the bread and the wine changed and Jesus became that. The, the bread and the wine became the flesh and the blood of Jesus. They call it transubstantiation. And at that point in the Mass, because Christ suddenly becomes real in the bread and the wine, so the people kneel and worship the bread and the wine and adore it. Adore what they call the host. They adore Christ before them. Now, Luther and the Protestant reformers, they turned to the Bible. They studied the passage where Jesus said, this is my blood, this is my bread, this is my body. And they compared scripture with scripture and they came to realize that the whole teaching of transubstantiation of, of the mass was wrong. And a misunderstanding and a misinterpretation of scripture. And in fact, this is what the reformers realized, it was actually when the people bowed down to the bread and the wine, they were actually guilty of idolatry, breaking the Exodus, the commandments in Exodus 20, first two commandments, the second especially. And they also came to realize that by saying that Jesus was being offered again, they were on, on, literally in the bread and he was offered on the altar, which is the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church at that time, they realized that actually that was saying that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough back then. It wasn't once and for all. And so they saw it as a, 
a, a wrong understanding of Christ's sacrifice. Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. It's done, it's completed. My sacrifice is over. Hebrews 9, 28. This is one of the scriptures they would have turned to. Hebrews 9, 28 says so clearly. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So they recognize that actually Christ's sacrifice was complete. Why sacrifice over and over again? So the Reformation was, was primarily a movement of the Bible, going back to the Bible and the authority of the Bible and the availability of the Bible. You know, in this country at that time, it was illegal to have the Bible in English. It had to be in Latin. And of course, the ordinary people couldn't understand Latin. And if you had a Bible in this country in those days, you could be charged with heresy if you had a Bible in English. So the reformers, they, they really did um, encourage popular, if you like, instruction among the people. And so they, they encouraged everybody to, to learn the, the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments and they began sort of um, teaching, it was called catechism, they taught um, the people word, word by word as it were. But by the way, are, are you reading the Bible daily? Are you, are you reading the Bible? Is, is this part of your daily life? Because people have fought and died for this. We have an open Bible because of people who have given their lives for this. And, and paid the price for this. God felt it was so important that we had this in our mother tongue, English. And for some of you, it's translated, I mean, it's wonderfully how it's been translated right across the world in different languages. But it's not, it's, it's not good enough, is it, for that Bible to remain on the shelf in my bedroom or in my lounge if I don't read it. So please, please, please make it a part of your daily life reading scripture, learning from it, feeding on it. Present yourself, Paul said to Timothy, present yourself approved unto God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we need to really diligently read this and study it. So the supreme authority of scripture, that was one of the great truths rediscovered. Secondly, the second crucial truth discovered was this justification by faith alone what does justification mean to be justified means to be declared right before God God declares you free from sin forgiven right with him that's justification it's borrowed from the law courts at the time of luther the church taught that salvation and justification was granted solely by the church 
So you were saved by going to church, by being baptised, by going to Mass, and by going to the priest and confessing your sins, and doing penitence, involving all of those things. Penitence, in other words, expressing your sorrow for sins, but doing it continually. All of those things were necessary for salvation. Actually, all of those things are still part of the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. For example, penance. The, I was reading this. The Catechism of the Ch Catholic Church, which is their official teaching, teaches that penance is necessary for salvation for those who have fallen after baptism. Just as baptism is necessary for salvation for those who have not yet been reborn. You get that? So you need to be baptised to be saved. And if you sin after baptism, and sin badly, then for salvation you have to do penance. You have to confess that sin. You have to go to the priest. You have to do certain things to earn that salvation back. So those were the teachings that Martin Luther was brought up believing. He was, he was a priest. But, but as he read the scriptures, as he read the Bible, he himself began to be deeply troubled. He began to think, well, I don't know if I'm saved. I do all of these things, but I don't have peace with God, and I, I don't have that relationship with God. And there was one scripture that really, really troubled him. And it was in that passage that I read earlier, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. This was the verse that God used to bring light into Martin Luther's understanding. Romans 1, verse 17. And this is it. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it's written, the righteous or the just will live by faith. And Martin Luther, in, for many, many months, he grappled with this, he thought about this. And it was uh, in 1516, he wrestled, with, he wrestled with it. In his own words, he wrestled with this night and day. It troubled him. He couldn't get his mind around it. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. But at last, its, it's meaning dawned on him. And it, in his own words, he says, it became a gateway to heaven. And he embraced Justification by faith in Christ alone. Luther put it like this. He said, he, Christ, died for me. He made his righteousness mine and made my sin his own. And if he made my sin his own, then I do not have it and I am free. He'd got it. In other words, through reading the Bible, 
he came to realize that salvation was a gift from God. And forgiveness of sins came through faith and faith alone in Christ. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to keep on working. He didn't have to keep on doing things. Because the just shall live by faith. And what he did, he confessed his sins to Christ, not to a priest, but to Jesus. And he put his trust in Jesus alone and in his death on that cross. He didn't put his trust in the church. He didn't put his trust in going to church. He didn't put his trust in his baptism. And he didn't put his trust in taking mass or in penance, but in Christ alone. And he believed from the Bible that he had that faith, that gift of faith to trust in Jesus. Jesus, Paul said to the Ephesians, didn't he? So well known. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And Romans 3, that passage that we read, it puts it so clearly. Verse 21. Romans 3, verse 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from law, apart from keeping the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness from God, this righteousness from God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. Verse 24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In verse 28 as well, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. I think it's wonderful. It's not, it's not just that God, it's not that God just overlooks our sin. You know, he says it doesn't matter. What he does, he looks to Christ. And he sees that Jesus paid for our sin on that cross. And as he looks to Christ, and we look to Jesus, God takes the work of Christ and applies it to us. And we are declared righteous. And it means, you know, I can't rescue me. You cannot rescue yourself. I cannot rescue myself from my brokenness, from my sin, from my separation. Only God can do that. And uh, when at last Martin Luther grasped this, this is what he said. He said, all at once, I felt that I'd been born again and entered into paradise itself through open gates. It was so clear. And so out, out of that experience, based on the word of God, Luther argued that neither Pope, nor church, nor priest, nor Roman Catholic masses can secure forgiveness. Only God can give that through trusting in Christ. Justification by faith alone. How is it relevant to today? Well, it's certainly relevant when it comes to understanding the Roman Catholic Church. Did you know that there are more than 1.2 billion Roman, Catholic, Roman Catholics in the world today who would call themselves <coughs> Roman Catholics? 1.2, far more than Protestants. 1.2 thousand million. 
just to get you in perspective, there are 1.8 billion Muslims. 1.8 billion Muslims. 1.2 million billion Catholics. And about 0.9 billion Protestants. Right? So the Roman Catholic Church is mega, massive. Mainly, of course, in a large percentage are in South America. But the, the, the quickest, fastest growing Catholic churches are in, in Africa. Are there Christians in the Catholic Church? Yes, definitely. I pray for people in the Catholic Church. I've known people in the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, I've talked with, talked with people. And some do know the Lord, absolutely, no, no doubt about that. Does the Catholic Church teach the gospel? I can't speak for every Roman Catholic Church because I've not, never been in all of them. But I can tell you what the official teaching of the Catholic Church is. This is not, I, can't, I don't know how to put this, this is not a, a, a sermon to knock the Catholic Church. It really isn't. I have real heart and love for people in the Catholic Church. And some of you are from Catholic backgrounds, I know that. But it's, it's just saying it as it is. The, the, Catholic, the, Roman, the, authority, the, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that tradition and teaching of the church are co-equal with Scripture. Teaching and traditions of the Catholic Church of the church are co-equal with Scripture. That was restated recently, or, or relatively recently for the church, anyway, in, in Vatican II. And it says this, by the Roman Catholic Church, both sacred tradition and sacred scripture are to be accepted and venerated with the same sense of loyalty and reverence. They also teach, of course, as part of that, that the Pope can make infallible pronouncements. So when the Pope speaks what they call ex cathedra, he's teaching doctrine that is equal with scripture. They also teach that we need to contribute to our salvation if we're to be saved. That's Roman Catholic theology. In fact, that the Council of Trent, the Council of Trent was, was the um, response to the Reformation that the, by the Roman Catholic Church. And, and, so, uh, and this is still the doctrine today. And at, the Roman, at the Council of Trent, this is what they wrote. It says, if anyone says that by faith alone the impious, or the sinner, is justified, let him be anathema, let him be cursed. Because the, the Roman Catholic Church does not teach justification by faith alone. It still teaches the Mass, of course, and transubstantiation, and the worship of the bread and the wine, because that becomes Christ in their eyes. And it still teaches purgatory, place after death where you suffer for your sins and it still teaches indulgences you don't buy them but they, it's certainly a part of indulgence of, of, of the Catholic doctrine according to their catechism an indulgence is obtained through the church who by virtue of the power of binding and loosing granted her by Jesus Christ intervenes in favour of individual Christians and opens for them the treasury of the merits of Christ and the saints to obtain from the Father of mercies the remission 
of the temporal punishment due for their sins. You don't have to remember that. But that's what that's, they, they teach, the indulgences, that you need these things. These are partly of given so that you can be saved from your suffering for your sins. The Roman Catholic Church, of course, teaches today that... Uh, oh, by the way, I understand the Pope offers special indulgences for people who sign up to his Twitter account. So that's true, that's correct. The, the Roman Catholic Church does teach that Mary, like Jesus, was born sinless and remains sinless. They call that the Immaculate Conception. That was brought in in 1854 by the Pope. And also they, they teach, and this was brought in more recently in 1950s, that Mary did not die, but she, like Jesus, ascended up to heaven. And now she is the Queen of Heaven. That's the teaching of the Catholic Church. And so they, they encourage, of course, we, we have, the Catholics are, uh, teach to pray to Mary because she intercedes for the church. And so the teaching is to pray to Mary because she then can beseech Jesus on our behalf. And of course, we have to, the Catholics would be encouraged to pray to the dead, dead people, to the saints. So all of those things are actually, just, I'm just saying what the official teaching of the, of the Catholic Church is. As, as I say, I, this isn't a knock the Catholic Church message. It, it might seem like it. it's not meant to be. Protestant churches have got beliefs that are wrong. I've, I've touched on some of the, one of those things already. But the fact is, these teachings, the Bible, you see, why is it, how is it relevant to today? The fact that we are here hearing the gospel today is due to the Reformation. The fact that you know that the gospel is a gospel of grace and faith is due to the Reformation. The fact that we have a Bible that we can read, that we are free to do that, is all due to the Reformation. The fact that you know that you are, you can know that you're saved and have assurance of your, your salvation is all due to the what happened at the Reformation. We have an amazing amount of debt that we owe to the Reformation. I'm just going to finish with this. And we are going to sing, but if you need to go, that's fine. Let me finish with another testimony, remarkably similar to Martin Luther. But 200 years later, John Wesley, he was a minister in the Church of England. He'd been but he'd never been born again, didn't know Jesus. He had no understanding of a relationship with God, yet he was religious. To cut a long story short, one night he reluctantly went to a meeting of Moravian Christians. And in that meeting, someone read from Martin Luther's preface to his Romans commentary. Not, he didn't even read the commentary, it was the preface to the commentary. And this is what John Wesley wrote. He says, about 8.45 p.m., while he, the person who was reading, was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, 
and saved me from the law of sin and death. And of course, John Wesley and George Whitfield at the time, they were amazingly used of God to bring revival. Now, let me finish with saying this. Have you experienced that? It's one thing hearing of other people's testimonies, but is it real for you? Have you experienced that? Do you have a story to tell that Christ has come into your life and saved you from your sins and given you that assurance of eternal life and you have a relationship with God? Is that your story? Because if it's not, you need to have it. You need to have it. It needs to be your story. You need to be able to say, there came that point where I trusted in Christ alone for my saviour, to be my saviour and become my saviour. Don't put things off. You know the old saying, procrastination is my sin. It gives me endless sorrow. I really must stop doing it. In fact, I'll start tomorrow. You know, don't put it off. Don't wait until tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. Eternal destinies are at stake when it comes to salvation. That's why it's so important. I was thinking of the, the, gov- the Roman governor, Felix. He was guilty of that. He thought he waited for a more convenient time. Never did. Never came. And so I would en- exhort you, friends, if you do not know this Saviour and Jesus as your Saviour, and you don't know this, put your trust in him. Let's pray. And then I'll ask the band to come up. We are going to sing. If you need to go, that's fine. But I want to sing Christ Alone. Uh, cr- cornerstone, rather. Christ Alone, Cornerstone. Let's pray. And then we're going to sing. So, Lord, we have so much to be thankful to you for. We thank you, Lord, for your grace that has shown us through your word that you have provided a saviour and he has paid it all. Everything's been paid for. And what we need to do is not work for our salvation, but put our trust in Jesus. And so, Father, help us, we pray, to delight in your word, to make it a part of our lives to delight in our salvation and if we're not saved to flee to Christ today before it's too late Lord work out your purpose in our lives we pray in Jesus name Amen Let's uh, stand to sing, let's sing Christ alone Cornerstone <coughs>